You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me is Kip Adams, also from Dogs 24-7. Rusty Mansell not with us. Uh, storms up in uh, up in northwest Georgia has kind of knocked Rusty out of the mix for tonight's episode and uh, or for today's episode, and we will uh, we'll catch back up with him next week, I'm sure, to talk about Georgia-Kentucky, but we're going to do the preview of Georgia-Kentucky and uh, we're going to obviously give you our predictions. We're going to look at some games that intrigue us at the SEC uh, this week. And, and obviously, huge day for Georgia coming tomorrow. Um, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins out of Gaffney, South Carolina, is going to make his college decision. Georgia trending in the 24-7 sports crystal ball there. Uh, we're going to let Kip drop some knowledge on us there uh, in, in the first half of the show. But, Kip, as we do on every preview episode, every Thursday um, – you got this Georgia-Kentucky game. Georgia's favored – was favored by 15 points. I haven't really looked at the line lately. I don't think it really matters. It's going to be two two or more scores. And I look at it as this, Kip. If this is a close game, we're going to have a – as my mom used to say to me all the time, we're going to have a Mel of a Hess on our hands over at the, at the Dogs 24-7 junkyard. But if Georgia loses this game, obviously, you know, everything breaks loose. But – when you, I think everybody kind of expects Georgia to ultimately be on top by a comfortable margin once this is over, just because Kentucky is so one-dimensional, breaking in a new starting quarterback for this one and Joey Gatewood. But how do you see this game? How have, have your kind of thoughts unfolded as the week has gone on about this game? It's interesting because when that initial line came out, I think it was, I think it was 15 and it's it's one of those lines where the initial reaction was if Georgia covers it's it's still a disappointment and it's rare that you have an SEC matchup where it's a little over uh, two touchdowns and the number is insult you know the, the fan base is fired up just seeing that number it was universally considered low on the junkyard and so that tells you a lot just about you know coming off a loss where, where everyone kind of is with Georgia, you know, they, they're expecting more. And honestly, you know, coming off a of bye week, I think it's fair to expect to see just an angry Georgia team, a team that wants to go out and prove themselves now that, you know, they're, that this season is still all on the, you know, all there for them and that they are, you know, the the best team in the East and still a contender for the conference and the college football playoff. So I think it should be on paper unfortunate for Kentucky that they're, you know, the schedule change and everything, that they should be running into a buzzsaw here uh, with, with a Georgia team that, again, has had time to let this loss kind of stew and, and, and to know that they have things to work on. I mean, I think that you look at the Alabama teams under Nick Saban, and, and I mean, rarely, you know, one a couple of times have they gone undefeated during their regular season, but you never wanted to be the team that played them after a loss. 
I think, I mean, honestly, it helped Nick Saban. You know, whenever he would have a loss, he knew going into that week that he had this team in the locker room and on film and in practice that, you know, he was now going to get the best version of that Alabama team moving forward. And I think Kirby Smart's kind of, you know, he's in that same, you know, line of thinking that now, you know, the press clippings are now out out the door about how good the defense can be. And overall, that Georgia was, you know, a lock to make it to Atlanta. Now he can go back and say, you know, guys, I told you guys, you know, we're playing this week by week, and I, I expect you guys to go out there and play like our season's on the line because now it is, and every week it will be moving forward. So as far as focus, you know, as far as, you know, the fact that the games at Kentucky should not matter, even with the, you know, the the limited uh, amount of fans, you know, that are able to be there, I just don't think that it not being in Athens is going to be a factor. And I think that, uh, you know, on paper, from us, you know, not being able to, to be there at practice, I think that you should see a, a focused, you know, motivated and uh, aggressive Georgia football team on, on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you, Kip. And, and Georgia after bye weeks um, uh, under Kirby Smart. And, and this is the last – this is 17, 18, and 19. I'm not really counting 16 because that was just a different Georgia football team. That was a transition team. Um, but coming out of a bye week uh, – after bye weeks, I'm sorry, Georgia's 16-2. and two. That's a little bit weird because last year they had two bye weeks and they lost after the first one, I want to say. So it's a little different. Um, uh, they lost to South Carolina after that first bye week. It came before the second bye week. And then Georgia ran the table after the second bye week. I believe it was five SEC games in a row. Um, but the last time Georgia lost before the bye week, the, they lost going into the bye week, I believe was 2018. And that was they lost to LSU, had two weeks off, and then, uh, and then had to play Florida. And uh, that Georgia team looked like a completely different Georgia team um, coming out. I mean, they, they were better defensively. They were better offensively. It was, it was undoubtedly Jake Fromm's uh, best game of that season, in my opinion. I mean, he, he looked great in that game. They were just nasty on third down. And um, Florida did grab an early lead there in the second half, but Georgia pulled away, won the game by 19 points. And, and uh, it definitely helped Georgia um, – that, that that they had the bye week after that loss. And, you know, I think the way this Georgia team is constructed, Kip, with with the with the the strengths and the weaknesses, I think that a bye week was it came at an advantageous time because, you know, you've got a whole lot of film against a team like Alabama, a physical football team, a team that likes to run the football but has a very, very uh um effective passing game that you've got a lot of film there where whether you're talking about rushing the quarterback, whether you're talking about quarterback play instead, some Bennett and Kirby Smart highlighted some of those things this week, ball security, better decision-making. Um, those are things Stetson Bennett can absolutely control and absolutely improve at. And uh, I just think that, that you look at the big picture here and, and that line does seem a little bit low. And it almost seems like Vegas was trying to sucker people into, uh, into maybe, you know, uh, kind of you know i don't know playing a little bit of reverse psychology i guess with people maybe trying to say hey well you know 
Kentucky's coming off the loss. Maybe it's a bad time to catch them. The one thing I point to, and this is something that, that Rusty said on, on Sunday's show, and he and I had, had talked about it already, was Kentucky just struggles so much on offense right now. And, and you know, I, I, can, I know for a fact Georgia wins this game 20-3 to or 24-6, or, or to six, and we're going to have a mess on our hands over at, uh, over at Dogs 24-7. You know, folks are going to be pretty, you know, pretty hacked off about that. They want to blow out. They want Georgia to put points up, and I get that. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think this is the type of game where you kind of get a feeling early on what you're dealing with. And, and Kirby Smart has shown, love him or hate him for it, and a lot of people are going to criticize him for it, that when he gets it in his head and when he gets it on good authority from what he's seeing with his own eyes down there at field level, that a team cannot score that a key team cannot really do anything with his defense, he kind of goes into a little bit of a shell. And I don't think that's a bad thing because you you learn you 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 learn how to play the game different ways, different weeks. And and Bill Belichick has made and I'd never compare Kirby Smart to Bill Belichick, not now anyway, but um I mean he's got to win some titles. I mean some a bunch of them, all right? But but Bill Belichick has made a really good living and a heck of a legacy off of being a different team from week to week. And I think Kirby Smart kind of wants that for Georgia. You know, when he talked about his brand of, of his, his – uh, I got an alarm going off for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, when, uh, when he talked about his brand of football comment, that's what he was getting at was, hey, if teams are going to play you one way, you need to be able to exploit them another way. And uh, – you know, I, I think that that's kind of what you're going to see here in this game with, with Georgia-Kentucky. I think Georgia's defense, um, if it comes out and it's playing really well and Kentucky struggling as much on offense as I think they can struggle on offense, um, I, you might see Georgia go into a little bit of a shell offensively and, and uh, you know, make some safe throws and, and try to run the ball down the throat a little bit. But, but you may also see Georgia come out guns blazing because Todd Munkin has been a different – uh, play caller at Georgia. I don't know if it's his influence on Kirby. You know, we we had some criticisms of of how little um, Georgia ran the ball in the big picture against Alabama. Um, you know, Georgia went out there and threw it forty times, and 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 a lot of those throws, thirty three of them came when the game was still in question, when when Georgia was still very much in that football game. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know that that's what Georgia's going to do, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it at all. What, what's your take on that? I think that that quote from Kirby, I believe it was what, take what the defense gives you. I mean, I to go along with your line of thinking, it doesn't just mean the, I mean, the opposing defense. It, it, it also means what his own defense gives him. And I think you're right. If his defense is shutting them down, then, again, he might be allowing Todd Munkin to, again, have – not only just to say in the offense, but to go out there and, and call plays, you know, and have the kind of playbook in the offense that he wants to have. At the same time, if you know that, you know, your opponent's only going to have so many possessions a game and that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to drive the ball down the field consistently, then again, that, that time of possession just becomes all the more valuable. You know, why not just go ahead and, and try to, get this game done as quickly as possible with this, you know, minimize injuries, knowing that 
you, you know, you do have an opponent that most people thought would be Georgia's biggest challenge in the East coming into the season in Florida, right around the corner. Again, it's not about overlooking Kentucky. He wants to come out with the win, obviously. But when you, if he gets into this game and he has a feeling, I'm going to be able to do what I want defensively, then there is nothing wrong with going ahead and, and kind of not calling out the dogs, but just locking into what the opposing defense is giving you as well. And if that means that you're able to get what you want in the run game, then that is what you focus on. It's not so much just going back to, you know, old Kirby Smart uh, offensive identity. It, it is trying to play to your strengths on both sides of the ball. And I think in this in this game, this matchup, it it does look like you know Georgia having a strong and and a dedicated run game could be an, an easy formula for success in this game. I mean, yeah, you want to continue to get reps for your quarterback and a young wide receiving core. You want that experience. You want them to get out there and, and be productive. But I don't think you have to force anything as far as the passing game is concerned if you're able to get what you want, if you're able to get, you know, five-plus yards of carry from your offensive backfield. And potentially, you know, this could be a, you know, 30 to 40 carry uh, game for Georgia's backfield. You could see a running back have over 20 carries in this game if early on they're getting production, you know, out of those play calls. And like you said, Tom Lunkin is he is calling it differently. Every, you know, it's interesting because Georgia's still running the ball as much as anyone in the SEC. I mean, I mean, as far as their tailbacks are concerned, they're getting as much production as anyone in the conference. But it's still different in the fact that you are getting, you know, more first down throws, first and second down, to be honest with you, than we'd seen the last two years. And you're still getting more play action as well than what we saw the last two years uh, so far uh, for Georgia's offense. So it's interesting. You're still getting a different look, but you're also still getting a lot of production from your running back. So I don't... The offense is not where anyone wants it to be, but I think it still is evolving from just pure smash mouth, you know, ball control football into, you know, a, a, a different look and a still more unpredictable look. It just, it isn't there yet. It's kind of a slow moving, slow rolling ball downhill. I think that, you know, once, once they break open, break out in that manner, uh, the sky is still the limit for, for this offense. I don't think everyone thinks this has now become a low ceiling offense. And I do think the explosive plays haven't presented themselves yet, but I, I still think that the potential is there for that. And I, I think it is a, a situation where four games from now, you could be looking at this offense completely differently than what they're looking at now. Every, the overall consensus is now. And I'll, granted, I get it. They're coming off a loss to Alabama. It, it's tough to, I guess, potentially look much worse. But they could look a much much worse than they have so far. And they still have the potential to look a lot better. It's still there. And, I, I mean, if you get the ball rolling and they start getting confidence and you start being more and more unpredictable as the season goes on, and they could still win the division and get to Atlanta and be a completely different-looking team come December.
Absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't completely guarantee that this is correct. Uh, and that's, that's a line I never want to begin with. But I believe that Georgia's 142 pass attempts through four games is more than any four-game stretch over the last three years. Um, it, I, I made it, it's, it's right there with it. I know when you compare Jake Fromm and Stetson Bennett, that Jake Fromm had one stretch in his career. It was the last four games of his career where he attempted 124 passes. Stetson Bennett has 124 passes in his first four games of, you know, of major action in his career. So, um, and then when you throw Dewan Mathis, I think 18 pass attempts there and uh, in, in uh, 17 against Arkansas, I think he had maybe one against Auburn. But ultimately, um, Georgia is throwing the ball more. And, and listen, I, I still think they're going to come out and throw it 20, 25 times in this game. I don't think it's going to be one of those, um, you know, uh, ground game specials that, that Georgia had in 17 and 18 where, where there were, you know, somewhere between 12 and 18 pass attempts. I, I, or, or shoot, I think, they, I think one year against Florida they attempted nine, and that was the year they beat them 42 to seven. Um, so I, I don't think you're going to see that. But, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I know this for an absolute fact. You tell Kirby Smart, hey, Kirby, you're going to win 20 to 3. That game's going to last three hours and three minutes. And your players will be, your plane will be on the ground at Ben Epps Airport in Athens by 5 p.m. Eastern. And he's going to take it. He's absolutely going to take it. There's no doubt in my mind. So, um, I maybe, I don't know, maybe we're talking about this to kind of set some expectations. I really don't know. I mean, I know he would also take a 42 to three win and a blowout and, and a confidence builder for his team. If it took 40 minutes longer and, and, uh, and, and, you know, his team got home a little later, I'm sure he'd take that too. But, but I do know that, that if you gave him that, you gave him a 17 point win and, and all those things. But one thing I will say about this kid, we'll get into this later in the predictions. The way Missouri ran the ball against Kentucky last week, it wasn't impressive in terms of yards per carry, but the number of run plays, I think it was 50, 60, somewhere in that neighborhood of run plays against Kentucky. That run defense has probably been ripped all week long by their media, by, by you know, and obviously you know that that Kentucky Sports Radio is huge up there, Matt Jones and those guys. You know that they've been criticized that way. You know the staff has laid into those guys. They've got some big dudes, man. They Quentin Bohanna, uh, 357 pounds. Uh, Mar- uh, McCall, Marquez McCall, I think is his name, um, 370-something pounds. They've got some big, big guys up front. Now, they're not very fast defensively, um, especially at the second level and, and on the defensive line. And I think that's something Georgia can exploit, maybe hit some big plays, maybe get the ball to the outside a little bit. Maybe they loosen, maybe they loosen Kentucky up a little bit last year with the outside zone stuff, and it's something they have in their back pocket, and and, and they can find some more uh, success on the interior. But but I do think that Georgia's got to earn it on the ground, and and that that to me uh, maybe is a little bit of a hint as to what I'm thinking about how this game's going to go. Um, but but you know it, you're going to have your people after this game that if Georgia does win in not necessarily impressive fashion. They're going to think it means something for next week against Florida, and I couldn't disagree more. I don't think it's going to mean a whole lot uh, in general. Kip, let's let's put one in your wheelhouse here, buddy. Uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, big one. 
big time, big time guy for Georgia, big time target. One of the biggest targets left on Georgia's board, six, five, 300 pound kid, 290 pound kid, somewhere in that area. Um, what are we thinking here with him to set to decide at 5 30 PM Eastern time on Friday? Well, guys, this is a prospect we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast as being a major target for Georgia. At one time, this guy, I think, was a consensus three-star uh, across the networks, the industry. But even then, I said, this this guy is someone that Georgia has had high on their board throughout. They've recruited him very hard. You know, in May, he was set to commit. And then it, it was going to be Tennessee. He pushed that back to June. At that point, the consensus was that in-state South Carolina had kind of, you know, they had some momentum there, and they were probably going to land him. And Tierney Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney, South Carolina, he is the top prospect in the state of South Carolina for this cycle. Uh, again, in Georgia's defense, I mean, it's a premium position. I, he, he can honestly play anywhere along Georgia's front, but just a guy that – is very athletic and moves very fluidly. He can he can set, you know, the the edge for Georgia in 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 their three man front. But he's also an outstanding pass rusher. Whether it's I mean whether it's just using his quickness, whether it's just pure strength. I mean you're not going to be able to bull rush consistently at the next level, but he's got great length and strength to be able to do that. He he's a mismatch at the next level. And so Georgia has been battling those programs throughout the cycle. As we record this podcast Thursday evening, I like where Georgia stands right now. And, and I have for a while, I think that they kind of seized the momentum, you know, in the last four to six weeks, really connected with him. And I think Georgia lands him on Friday. And I, I think it's a huge addition. I just think, you know, the defensive line in this class uh, they they are trying to get numbers as best they can and, and kind of restock that defensive line. Had a lot of upperclassmen the last two years in the team, and you, and you need some guys like him that you can develop, but also have the physical traits to to help you out on the two deep if you need them in year one. And Georgia's continuing to have momentum here. There was a time in this cycle, you know, early in the summer where they had missed on a couple guys. You know, a Dallas Turner, a, a James Williams having uh, Tony Grimes reclassify and, and go to North Carolina. There were some tough losses for Georgia. And we said that the margin for error for them to have a top three class was now razor thin. And now here we are at the end of October, and they have a chance to, to get really close into that top three. And over the next couple of weeks, you know, kind of lock, lock in with that top three status by – by landing a guy like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, an out-of-state guy, continuing to recruit well in this in South Carolina, and then also some in-state guys with Smile Munden set to com, you know announce his commitment, the five-star linebacker from Paulding County. He's going to announce in November, and then Nylon Green, a top 100 player from from Newton in Covington, Georgia, a an outstanding defensive back prospect who can project at cornerback. Another guy that's you know set to announce his commitment as well those guys I mean they they get Georgia right on the doorstep of I'm not going to say locking in because there are a lot of prospects still out there and there's still you never know what December and January is going to bring especially in this cycle with 
no on-campus visits basically the rest of the cycle. Coach, the, when the coaching carousel, whatever it brings this cycle, it's still a great unknown. But they position themselves very well to have a top three class. And, you know, I really would like this pickup for Georgia a lot. I think it'd be huge. And it's honestly, it's not even the only recruiting news we might have this week because, you know, on, on Sunday – we have a five-star announcing its decision for the 2022 class. And uh, Dion Bowie from Bainbridge, Georgia. Uh, uh, Smoke Bowie, he goes by Smoke. That's his nickname. He's an athlete, 5'11", 185, Bainbridge, Georgia. I mean, that's that's a familiar location if you're, if you're a Georgia fan because obviously Kirby Smart comes from there and he has an assistant on the staff and Nick Williams, who also came from Bainbridge. And, and Dion Bowie is a – top five, top three prospect in the state of Georgia for next class, a guy that could play DB or wide receiver at the next level. And so it comes as no surprise that his player comparison on 24-7 sports is Miko Harmon, just a guy that doesn't have outstanding size but can really do it all in the football field. And he's, he's a guy that has outstanding uh, explosive capability. He's a big play guy. And I think that while Georgia fans right now look at the offenses in the you know across the country and look at what Alabama just did and say put this guy a receiver, it's tough because he is a very talented cornerback. He's got great redirect ability. He can mirror you know the other the number one receiver in the other side of the ball, and he makes great plays on the football as well. So. You know, that first reaction for everyone is, let's put this guy a wide receiver and let him go. I'm just saying that he he can do it all, and it's just – it's an outstanding addition if Georgia's able to land him. I like where Georgia stands right now. It's going to be – I mean, it's just – that's – it's going to be tough to beat Kirby Smart for a player out of Bainbridge, Georgia. I'll just put it that way. But LSU tried really hard in the last couple weeks, made a big push. You know, Florida State, Alabama, Florida all in there as well, but – I see Georgia in the driver's seat uh, for Smoke Bowie, and that's two big pickups in one week, and the ball is rolling for Georgia recruiting-wise, I think. If they're able to land both those guys, you know, kind of heading into November with a lot of momentum and multiple classes, outstanding pickups, if everything holds true from what I'm hearing uh, for Georgia recruiting right now. Well, I mean, you look at Amarius Mims, and Georgia got that commitment a little while back, and then Kamari Lasseter, a guy that Georgia really coveted and beat out Clemson and Auburn for. I think if you, you land Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, you've officially kind of caught some fire in, in the 2021 class. And, and you know, with adding um, adding uh, uh, Deion Bowie to, uh, to you know, our Marquis, Marcus uh, Groves, Killebrew, and, and all of those guys – uh, or the guys that are in the 2022 class, I mean, you've gotten off to a, a really strong start in that group as well. And um, I, I like Ingram Dawkins a lot. I, I think he's a very high upside kid, a lot, a lot, like a lot of defensive linemen. He's got to let that motor get a little bit bigger. Um, but there's a lot of natural ability there. And, and, you know, obviously this is a guy that I think about 18 months ago was right around 245, 250 pounds. He's at 290 now. It's good weight. He carries it well. And uh, th- this is the type of guy that, that you know, you, you see stick around for three or four years and develop into a monster and start changing, um, you know, the, the Georgia's, uh, I, I guess, uh, track record a little bit on the defensive line for the past decade and a half, two decades. 
and uh, I think he's as as talented as as anybody not named Jalen Carter or or you know Trayvon Walker. He may even ultimately develop into something like that. Um, I think he's a notch below those guys, but but you can put him right there with with some of the best ones Georgia has signed under Kirby Smart if Georgia's able to land him, and, and that'd be a big addition. Uh, let's jump into a break here right quick, and then we're going to talk about the SEC schedule, kind of what we're watching in the SEC, and then it's on to predictions. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Kip. Um, when I look at the SEC schedule for this week, and uh, one thing I forgot to mention, by the way, when we were talking about uh, uh, Dion Bowie, is uh, Josh Lee, Georgia's football operations guy, is also from Bainbridge. So Georgia's got quite a quite a little haul there from from the small little southwest Georgia town. Um, but uh, when I look at this schedule, I've got Georgia, Kentucky, and then you've got two murders, I think. I think you've got two homicides that we're going to get to witness, and that's Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. That one, that one may end up being a little bit closer just because of how bad Ole Miss is on defense, but I think Ole Miss runs away with it ultimately. Mississippi State at Alabama. I, I mean, the way that Mississippi State team's playing and the disarray and all the guys that have left this week, man, I, Alabama's going to name the score. You could see another 700-yard uh, performance from that offense. Uh, but but there's three games that stick out. LSU at Auburn, big one, big one, because LSU's kind of trending up. And, man, I, I'll be honest with you, Auburn Auburn could feasibly be 0-5 right now. Uh, you know, they, they have gotten – that Auburn team, when you, they look back at this season, they, they're going to think about uh, – you know, they may not think about it, but their opponents will think about the, the bad call right before the half uh, with, when Kentucky was in town to start the season where – the guy was clearly in the end zone and, and got called. Uh, the review upheld the ruling that he was stopped short, and that was – I don't know how in the world that happened. Uh, the Arkansas situation with the fumble and clear recovery that replay didn't really catch and 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 kind of messed him up. And then obviously the Lane Kiffin situation this past week with the ball that very much looked like it was touched before it went in the end zone would have been a touchdown to put Ole Miss up. Um, I think by two scores there with just a little bit of time left. Um, so Auburn has Auburn has has taken advantage. I'll give them credit for that because they have taken advantage all three times because I believe all three times they were trailing when those things happened and and they made the best of the situations. They deserve credit for that. Uh, but, but they're facing an LSU team that really seems like it might be finding its stride a little bit. They're playing a little bit better defense last week against South Carolina, playing some explosive offense. That's the game I'm watching the most. The other one, Arkansas at Texas A&M. Barry Odom's defense against that rushing attack at Texas A&M. I'm really interested to see how that pans out. What are you watching, Kip? 
Yeah, I like that matchup. That's that's kind of a uh, who is the second best team in the West matchup, in my opinion. I think, I mean, Arkansas has looked outstanding th- this year. And we're talking about a team that, what, went two years without an SEC win. And there are a couple bad calls away, you know, from really being a team that could push for the, you know, the division. There's a lot of momentum there. And so I, I really think that it, it's a team, it's a, a matchup where they've both been able to rest. They're both in a good spot. Um, I mean, Texas A&M looked pretty good against Florida. Uh, Kellen Mond, we, we know who he is now. He's been good enough. He's been efficient. He hits that deep ball uh, here and there. And their offensive line has, has been probably the surprise of the conference, in my opinion. I just think that as far as their pass protection, uh, they're opening up holes and making their running backs look really good. Uh, I, I think that it is – I think it's potentially a buzzsaw for Arkansas. I think that Texas A&M's offense will set the tone of that game and – really, really push that Arkansas defense, which, again, coming off that first week of the season, Georgia didn't look near as strong as it could have against that team. But now every week as we watch Arkansas, you realize that that team was a lot better than than anyone gave them credit for. But, I mean, I I think we're really talking – the game of the week, the closest game should be that LSU-Auburn game. I mean – it's definitely a hot seat game for Gus Malzahn and everyone's talked about a lot of fans have checked out, you know, they've already checked the buyout. They've already looked to see where things stand with, with his coaching contract and things like that. And, and it's not that game for, for Ed Ogeron, but it, there is some drama there now because now you, you saw kind of some flashes from TJ Finley, you know, Miles Brennan missed that game and, I'm not sure what his status is right now. If he's iffy, if he's going to be able to play, but uh, TJ TJ Finley showed you some some things that you can work with there, some potential. And the offense, it was the closest that it looked to last year, and the defense played pretty well. That's a team that lost more. I mean, they lost more than anyone in the off season, whether it's opt outs to the draft, and they are. I mean, they looked a lot better in that South Carolina game than they had earlier. But at the same time, I think not everyone's giving Auburn credit for how the offense has gotten more balanced the last couple of weeks. They've had over 200 yards rushing and receiving in the last two games. And Tank Bigsby has – he has stepped up to be their feature back. It's a position that has honestly – really dumbfounded me with the, how they have not been able to have not just a thousand yard rusher, but just have a feature back in that offense the last couple of seasons, because that, I mean, that's Gus Malzahn's calling card is that ground game. And I think they have that guy now for the future in tank Bigsby. And, uh, you know, really Bo Nix looked really good against Ole Miss. Now, granted, everyone's looked good against Ole Miss's defense, but he had one of the better games of his his two-year tenure at Auburn. So I think that both these teams have been very hot and cold, and it comes down to, you know, if 
which team shoves up for both these teams. It's it's it might be considered a throwaway season for LSU, but I just don't think it is for Auburn. I think they're kind of up the up against the wall a little bit more. And it is a like turnaround. It's a season turnaround game for both these teams. I think it's going to be back and forth, but I think Auburn's defense is going to show up. And I think that Bo Nix will play well once again. And I like Auburn in that game and they cool the seat for one week sort of win for, for Gus Malzahn. Yeah, you you kind of uh, gave me a little bit of a visual there about Auburn being up against the wall. You look at a high school dance, middle school dance, whatever you want to say, and LSU's in the middle of the room, you know, doing the sprinkler and whatever. They won the national championship last year. They're in the absolute middle of the room. They're grabbing their ankle and doing that knee thing with you meet the knee, the elbow, doing the Q-tip, the lawnmower. I mean, they're they're doing all these foolish dances. They don't care how stupid they look. Um, that they're playing with house money a little bit, especially with all the opt-outs and all the losses to the NFL draft. And, um, you know, I, I don't think you can evaluate Ed Ogeron on, on this season at all. Um, it was so much turnover, unprecedented amount of turnover. Um, so uh, they're, they're in the middle of the room, and, and they don't care what they look like. They're just going out there and letting it all hang out and play. But Auburn – I think I think there's probably a little bit of, of momentum there for Auburn, but I think there's probably also a little bit of tightness um, because of how much is on the line. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of a razor's edge game for them a little bit because if they lose this one, then you worry about maybe some of your veterans checking out. Um, because, uh, I mean, it's, it's always different at Auburn and Alabama because of the Iron Bowl at the end of the year. Um, but, but ultimately it comes down to whether or not uh, – you know whether or not they feel like like it's um, like it's going to be a successful season. Whether or not it has a chance to be a successful season when you lose three of your first six, and uh, that, that's just kind of an interesting dynamic to me. And I'm interested to see how it happens. And it's never a good sign when somebody like me knows what a, a, another coach's buyout is because he can read Twitter. Uh, that's that's never a good sign. Um, and because it's been put on there multiple times and, uh, and, and that's something that that's, you know, just never good for a program. Uh, Kip, is there anything else you're watching this week in the SEC or anything you want to add to those matchups? I, yeah, I kind of forgot to, to bring this up and I went, I kind of, uh, focused on two games and I don't know what the spread is in most of these games. I'm, I'm sure that other than the Auburn LSU, they're all double digits and probably well in double digits. But by far the hugest X factor for this week has to be Missouri-Florida. Uh, just because, one, Missouri's down to – I mean, they're, they're in – I can't remember how many they have on scholarship because they had a ton of departures. But we don't even know who's going to miss the game for Florida. Uh, so, I mean, the the COVID issues for that program have I mean, they've been tremendous. And not only do we not know which which starters are going to be out. I mean, we don't even know really how they're going to look on the field because they haven't been able to practice. And I know whenever the, the schedules got redone and, you know, Georgia's playing Kentucky this week and everyone thought that this helped Florida. I can't see how this how this month has gone down could be good for Florida at all. They have not been able to practice. And we don't know, I mean, how long, if they're going to come off of this week, if they're going to have everyone for next week, 
it seems very chaotic in Gainesville right now. Just with, I mean, once once the, the it started going downhill with, with the testing, I mean, that's one aspect of Georgia that we haven't had to discuss once since the season began, and it could happen at any point. But Georgia hasn't had this issue at all. And, uh, I mean, for overall in the conference, it's it's overall it's gone fairly well. It's gone really well for Georgia so far. It's going really badly for Florida right now, and you just have no idea how it's going to affect that game. I mean, should Florida win by two touchdowns easily? Yes. But when, when they line up and, you know, those – you know, Thomas Goldcamp and the rest of the, the guys at, at Swamp 247, when they're having to just react to seeing who's playing and who's not, I feel for them. But that is a game that's very intriguing just because you have no idea. I mean, Cal Trask is going to be playing, I'm pretty sure. But after that, you know, are, are they going to have running backs out? Is You know, are they going to have a key uh, inside linebacker out? I mean, it's it's just very intriguing, and it has to be the – the true X factor of the games this weekend in the conference. Yeah, that is definitely not a throwaway. I'll say that. And that's one, that was one of the three games, you know, I mentioned, I think there are six games this week and uh, one of them is Georgia, Kentucky. And then you've got the, the, the two homicides I talked about with, with Ole Miss Vanderbilt and, uh, and uh, Mississippi state at Alabama. And then there were the three games where you had Auburn LSU and, and, uh, and Arkansas, uh, Texas A&M, and that Missouri-Florida game is intriguing because I don't think Florida's going to lose that game, um, but I think it can be a lot closer than they want it to be. And and listen, no coach in the country wants to pause for 14 days for two full weeks, then crank back up and play a game. Not one coach in the country wants to do that. He's probably feeling good about one thing, and that's the fact that his guys are fresh, but that's about it. I mean, you can seriously have some interrupted rhythm in that period of time. And, and you know, I, I mean, if you, you mentioned – I mean, there, there are so many different areas where Florida doesn't really have the depth to, to, to deal with that. I mean, uh, you know, their, their, their offense is tremendous, really good-looking offense. And Dan Mullen's done a really good job with it. I've watched him this year um, several times, and, and it's an impressive-looking group. But you end up with a couple of offensive linemen down – or a couple of defensive linemen down. Um, that Basilak kid over at, at Missouri is a pretty good player. Larry Roundtree is a pretty good player. Um, that one, that one's got a lot of intrigue to it. I agree. And 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 uh, you know, it's one of those things where you know Georgia definitely came out on the good end of how things have gone with COVID here in the past three or four weeks concerning the two border rivals and and that game that's going to be played at three thirty on November the seventh. Because uh, because of the fact that that Florida just they had to shut it down and and I don't even know if they could do really anything. I mean, it may have been a situation where it was like quarantine shutdown, where the guys were out there having to do stuff on their own. Because I'm I want to say that the football facilities and all football activities were shut down, and that's just not where you want to be. And and you know, it'd be interesting to see if Missouri can capitalize on that and if Georgia can capitalize on it a week later. Um, and I'm interested to see what that spread looks like, too. We'll, we'll know that on Sunday. Kip will be all over that. Let's get into these predictions, Kip. And Georgia at Kentucky. Georgia has not lost at Kentucky since Matthew Stafford's freshman year of 2006. Um, famous photo after that game of Stafford looking like he just got out of the octagon. Uh, got his brains beat in. Um, and uh, what are you thinking here? And, and also, hey, score, player of the game. Rusty always forgets player of the game. Please add that. Well, I guess 
if we're taking Vegas just at, you know, on the surface, they kind of expect Georgia to win this game 30 to 13. And, you know, I, I like the 30 aspect of that. I think this is a game where, you know, Georgia gets in the red zone and, you know, half the times they get in there and they punch it in. And maybe half the times they have a hiccup, you know, uh, they try a couple a play here or there's a, a penalty or a sack there. I, I think it's still a situation where you got to be careful not to turn the ball over it because that is what Kentucky's defense does well. I mean, they're doing a they've done a good job holding their opponents, you know, one of the better scoring defenses in, in the country. But they're definitely a team that like, likes to force turnovers. I, I think they forced like nine turnovers in, in their uh, in their two wins. So it's definitely a situation where you got to be careful with the football. And if that means not taking chances when you get into the red zone, then, then so be it. Just get points on the board. I, I like Georgia's chances, again, to score 30. But I, I think that Georgia's defense is going to come out and play angry, and they're going to really make things hard for Joey Gaywood. And – and their ground game. I'd, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that they're going to be able to push the ball downfield. They might be good for an explosive play or two in this game, but I think for the most part, it, it really it, it really lines up well for Georgia, just the entire matchup. Uh, and I think that Stetson Bennett takes care of the football. Uh, Georgia does. Put a, you know, not just a focus on the on its ground game. I just think they're going to be successful on the ground, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and everyone's kind of already tried to hand the reins uh, in Georgia's backfield to the young ones out there. I know that McIntosh is banged up right now, um, but and Kendall Milton has kind of already been anointed. You know that next great Georgia running back, and I give him credit. He you know, other than the little ball security issues early on, he's he's looked very good back there. I haven't really been able to see him as a receiver yet, you know, but as far as a pure runner, looks very strong. But I think this is kind of that game where Zamir White kind of call, calls off the dogs a little bit, so to speak, and says, you know, I'm still here. Uh, I haven't left yet. And that one thing that's kind of been missing from his game is, you know, breaking off that long run. Maybe he has a 20-yard run or two in him in this game and, and kind of shows a little bit more as far as being able to not just break tackles but get to that second level. You know, it's kind of a situation where self-scouting, the vision, you know, you have, there have been holes there where he's kind of seemed to, I don't want to say close his eyes and just, you know, pin his ears down and, and run. But there's been a couple of situations where you could have made a move here. You could have kicked it out and you left yards kind of on the table there. And this is kind of a, a get right game for him. I, I think he has 20, 25 carries. I think, you you know, he finally gives Georgia a hundred yard rusher for the season. And I, I think Georgia wins 30 to three. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to call for a straight shutout because again, you can't predict no explosive uh, plays in the game. But I think 30-3 to is still a statement game for Georgia that they are still here, they haven't gone anywhere, and that they still are 
the most talented team in the East, and they still had the potential to play like that. So I like Zamir White for my player of the game. And I think Georgia, as long as they don't turn the ball over often in this game, as long as this is not 2019 South Carolina game, which is exactly what Kentucky's going to be going for, then I think Georgia wins comfortably and and moves on to a, a big and very intriguing matchup against Florida. Kip, I also expect some explosiveness, but I expect some explosiveness in the game thread at Dogs 24-7 in the first half because I think that Kentucky, having lost a game last week, I, th- I think they're going to come out and play with a lot of pride. Um, I think that defensive line is going to play well early on. And I think the first half of the game has a very good chance of going by quickly and not being all that entertaining. Um, I could see Georgia up 10-nothing, 14-3, 14-nothing, 17-0, something like that. Folks are really hacked off. Nothing's gotten any better. But I do expect Georgia to make big plays in the second half. Uh, and I think Georgia's going to kind of run away with it late. I really do. I think this is one of those where um, you – you come away with it thinking Georgia didn't play a complete game again, which they haven't done all year long. But I think it it is going to ultimately turn out to be um, what I'm predicting is going to be a 24-point Georgia win. Um, and I think Georgia gets back to Athens. They get a chance to, to get back in their dorm rooms and get back in their coaches' offices and things like that. Maybe, maybe uh, get a little jump start on watching the Florida game and then get on to that. But I think where this game is positioned, is both advantageous for Georgia and advantageous for Kentucky because that's a big game coming up next week for Georgia. I mean, it's it's pretty much, I mean, it's it's the second half of the season. Uh, when you look at the schedule, it's it's the second half of the season. I'm not saying Georgia can't lose any other games, rest of the games on their schedule, but you know, a lot of these point spreads second half of the year outside of the Florida game are going to be 14 point and above, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that area. Um, but but I like Georgia twenty seven to three in this one. I don't think Kentucky's going to get much going offensively, but I don't see a, uh, another shutout. Um, you know, I mean, I'm really interested to see Joey Gatewood though. Um, I want to see what he's got, what his chops are like at quarterbacks. Rough first start because Georgia's good on defense, and and uh, Kentucky just doesn't have the the weapons on the outside to to even threaten Georgia um, in, in the same way that an Alabama or maybe even a Florida can, even even Auburn. Um, but uh, I, one thing I really think about this game and, and you know, with from the player of the game aspect is I, I think it's a game where Georgia's going to play really good team defense. I don't necessarily think a defensive player is going to stand out. I thought about a guy like Richard LeCount or, uh, or a guy who I expect to play a lot more this week in Chris Smith because I, I do think Joey Gatewood, it being his first start, might kind of give one to Georgia. Um but I'm going to go on offense, and, uh, you know, I think a guy that's really going to stand out in this game is, is Jermaine Burton. I think you're going to see a couple of explosive plays from Jermaine Burton, a couple of uh, catch-and-run type things, maybe a ball over the top. Um, but it's not going to surprise me if you're looking at the box score this one and you see a four-catch for 96-yard type thing or a three-catch for 88-yard and a touchdown or two. I think Jermaine Burton is kind of getting ready to burst out. And um, I had a source tell me this week, and, and it's something I haven't even told the junkyard yet, so you guys get it on the podcast. Um, I had a guy tell me this past week that, that Jermaine Burton was open a lot over the past couple weeks in practice. 
And uh, he's a guy that, that has really kind of come on and, and gained a lot of confidence. And he struggled some of that Alabama game, but he also made some plays. Kip, I hear you've got some intel from, 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 the, from the man, the myth, the legend, Rusty Mansell. You got his prediction for us? Well, let's, let's, Rusty must have called into Vegas for his. Sources tell me that Rusty Mansell's score prediction for Georgia at Kentucky is 30 to 13. So uh, that's, that's a straight Vegas prediction right there. It might be the exact spread and over under. I, I, it goes back and forth, but 30 to 13. And so he's, he's you know, saying that uh, Kentucky's going to, you know, get in the end zone uh, uh, once or twice. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I think that we're all kind of at a consensus here that, Georgia's going to, you know, not exactly have the biggest game offensively, but as we said earlier in the show, I think it's not really what this game is about. I, I think this is a time of possession. Don't turn the ball over. Let, let's get out of Lexington and, and get ready to, to go to Jacksonville type of game. And again, you don't, it's not as much fun, I guess, for the, for the fans. Offense is, is what everybody wants to see. But I just think that that's probably the best recipe for Georgia right now. It's just to focus on playing clean football and offense and and not having any injuries and getting back on track defensively. So Rusty's prediction is in. Uh, as uh, he is, you know, uh, opt to do, he did not – my sources did not give me a player of the game. So we'll uh, – We'll have to look for a future Rusty's ramblings potentially on Dogs Twenty Four Seven on Friday. Maybe he's kind of holding. I'm gonna out. go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put a player of the game in for Rusty. Um, I'm gonna go uh, walk on long snapper Payne Walker as as Rusty's player of the game. Uh, he's gonna be perfect on his uh, on his field goal snaps and his uh, extra point snaps, and uh, I think that's going to earn him player of the game honors. Rusty loves those specialists. I, li- I like it when he's not here because we can talk some stuff about him a little bit, you know, kind of give him a ribbon that he can't defend himself with with one of his uh, ambush questions that he drops on us from time to time. Uh, but Breaking hey, news. I- breaking news. Breaking news. Beep, 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 beep. Just this <laughs> in. Rusty's player of the game is? Payne Walker. Zamir White. Copycat. What a copycat. Because you picked Zamir White, right? I did pick Zamir White, and and he did not know that going in. That was a blind pick by him. I honestly thought – He's listening somehow. Yeah, somehow. He's got our houses houses bugged. He he has got a live feed somehow. I honestly thought he was going to go with Stetson Bennett, Um, but Zamir White is maybe a safer pick, so we'll just see how that goes. But, hey, I'm I'm just impressed – the man got it done somehow. You know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. We'll have it all covered for you. We'll be back with you on Sunday to talk about it. Uh, and, and for you guys, obviously, hopefully a Georgia win. I know that's what you're, what you're wanting. And then it'll be the time for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party because I refuse to call it anything less or else. I'm sorry, not less, but uh, I refuse to call it anything other than that. That's exactly what it is. And it'll still be that way this year, even if a lot of people aren't able to be there and they – have this uh have banned tailgating but for this episode of the junkyard Dogcast, i'm jake Rowe with dogs 24 7 he's kip adams from the same place and as always take it easy
CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.